Well, we're in a series right now that we call Struggling with God, and uh, <clears throat> in this series, started last week, um, what we're doing is we're leaning into some of the stress points of our interaction with God, and, and we said last week that all of us are going to struggle, right? We're all going to struggle to understand God. It's just the, the, the nature of our relationship with God. And sometimes those struggles are on very cosmic levels, like good, evil, heaven, hell kind of stuff. A lot of times those struggles are very personalized. So God, why, why me? How come us? Why don't you answer this prayer request? Those kind of things. And it's all a part of our natural interaction with God. In fact, we said it's very normal. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, God's the one who says this. He says, for, um, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And God's the one who says, you know what, guys, I operate on a level that you're not going to comprehend. Um, you are a part of history. I am the author of it. So I'm going to interact with humanity in ways that you're not, you're not going to have a full view of, and, and, and that's just part of it. And I'm going to interact with your life in a special way. You, you uh, live life in a, in a temporal way. So you're a part of something earthly. And then later on, you'll get your eternal perspective. I start with the eternal perspective. So what doesn't make sense for you right now makes sense to me. And I'm moving in those ways. And we said, that's natural, right? God's God and we're not. And that's the nature of that. And, and so we're not always going to understand uh, what God's doing and how he's doing. And that's where the stress points come in. Uh, looking and say, man, there's these circumstances. Got to have trouble with this. Doesn't make sense to me. And it's at that point that we're going to have to struggle with God. So last weekend, we talked about the difference between faith and doubt. Uh, doubt is me saying, God, there's these circumstances. I don't understand them. I don't get them. And I quit. I quit. I'm going to trust myself instead of you because I don't get what's going on. Faith is looking at God and saying, God, there's these circumstances, I don't get them, I don't understand them, and I trust you. I'm going to follow you by faith. I don't, I'm, I'm being honest, I, don't quite, I can't do the math on this. I'm going to follow you and trust your heart and allow you to lead through me. And God says, faith pleases him. The person who doubts shouldn't expect to receive anything from, from God. And so it's by faith that we address these things. We also said last weekend that our relationship with God is a relationship. It's not a math problem. So two plus two does not equal God. Where it's a relationship, there aren't clean answers always to our interaction with God. In a relationship, we journey together, right? So if you came to me and said, I'm having trouble with my marriage, I don't have a silver bullet to give you. I don't have this to say, boy, if you do this one thing, you'll never have a problem in your marriage again. Or if you came to me and said, my, my kids are off the deep end, they're, they're smoking, drinking, chewing, rooting for Michigan, they've fallen away from God, and, and I don't have a silver bullet to say, you know, do this and your kids will never have a problem again, right? Why? Because they're not math problems, they're people. It's a relationship. So we navigate relationships, we build trust with each other, and we, we understand each other more and more over time. Same is true in my relationship with God. I don't have all the answers to everything about God it's always going to boil down to faith. I'm choosing to trust in the heart and the mind of God. I'm choosing to trust in what I cannot and will never fully understand. I know that. I'm not naive. I'm not in denial. I'm just making that decision. And I'm going to put, 
put my kind of my bank on God instead of myself, and I'm going to trust him as he leads me through life. And this is what the Bible tells us, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. This is the nature of our relationship with God. Hebrews 11, in fact, why don't you open your Bibles up there, Hebrews 11, we're going to kind of camp around Hebrews uh, this weekend. So Hebrews 11 is page 843 in those Bibles in your chairs. If you have a smartphone, iPad, we use the version app, Y-O-U version. Open that up, app up, click on live event, our zip code is 44333. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, God said, this is the nature of our relationship and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, faith is, is the nature of our relationship with God. So it's not clear, clean cut, indisputable answers. It's relationship, it's faith, it's choosing to trust even though I won't fully understand. Now, before we get into these cosmic questions, right, we knew that we felt like we needed to lay a base kind of jump off of. So the first level of that base is this idea, the difference between faith and doubt. Uh, just a, kind of an honest conversation saying, yeah, it's going to be faith. You just got to know that. It's the way it's going to add up. The second level of our relationship with God that has to go down as a foundation is this idea. I have to have faith that God exists. I have to have faith in his love and connection for me. And then tied to that, it's kind of intertwined, the second level of it is I have to have faith in the Bible. So if I don't trust the Bible, the conversation kind of stops, right? So it's, how do we know about Jesus? Because of the Bible. How do we know about sin and salvation? Because of the Bible. How do we know the heart of God? Because of the Bible. How do, where are we gonna get answers from to these difficult questions? We're gonna get them from the Bible. <clears throat> so if I'm not accepting the Bible, as the words of God, if I'm not trusting, so to say, having faith in the Bible, then, then we, we kind of run out of stuff to talk about all of a sudden. Because when we're struggling with God, the answers about that are gonna come from the Bible. And here at Grace, the formal way that we would say it is we would believe that the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant, complete word of God, right? So we would say this is, all truth resonates from the Bible up. So if we're not able to talk from the Bible and you're accepting what the Bible says as truth, then our conversation kind of broke down. So we realize this is a foundation we need to put down in our relationship with God. This is where I discover God. This is where I meet God. This is how I interact with God. I'm always going to do that from the Bible. And I'm going to have to accept the Bible to a degree by faith, right? So faith is choosing to believe in what I cannot and will not ever fully understand, and that's part of the Bible too, okay? That I'm, I'm having faith that God has interacted with the Bible, he speaks to the Bible, he superintended the Bible, he delivered the Bible to us. And so when I'm interacting with the Bible, I'm interacting with the words of God, the word of God is how we would often say it. And that I'm gonna kind of build a foundation and place um, a stake there, okay? So what I wanna do this weekend is I wanna begin a conversation, we're gonna finish it next weekend, about the Bible. And this weekend, I'm going to give you some information about the Bible. I'm going to give you some doctrine. I'm going to give you some uh, arguments, academic arguments about the Bible. 
and we're going to end it kind of with a personalized interaction, how that works, okay? But I want to go back to this idea. It's going to boil down to faith. Because I can argue with you till I'm, I'm blue in the face and you can say, well, I don't believe it. Well, then I, I guess we're done. Like, I don't know what else to say, right? So the Bible and our interaction with the Bible is spiritual in its nature. And so by faith, I'm choosing to believe what the Bible says. And I'm choosing to believe what the Bible says about itself, what God says about it in the Bible. And I'm choosing to kind of um, make, my, make my bet there, Okay. So the Bible. So let's talk about this a little bit. <clears throat> what I did was I, um, I talked to some basically college students and I said, hey guys, what are your thoughts about the Bible, your concerns about the Bible, your questions about the Bible? And got some of that feedback, categorized that feedback, and I'm going to try to kind of wrap that into kind of some umbrella statements so that we can put it in a manageable time frame. And we'll just begin this conversation about the Bible. So here's the first general question being asked. It's an honest question. It's a fair question. And it's this. How can the Bible be the words of God but be written by human beings? How can the Bible be the words of God but be written by human beings? So it's like, uh, Jeff, you say God said, then you say Paul said, then you say David said, then you say Jesus said, and then what are you, what's your deal? You know, so how does that work? How can the Bible be the words of God but be written by human beings? Fair question, Okay. I want to introduce you, if you never interacted with it before, to the doctrine of inspiration. Okay, the doctrine of inspiration. And this is what inspiration would say. We will believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and it was given to us through inspiration or through the words of God. So this is inspiration. This is the long definition of it. Inspiration is this idea, it's this doctrine that human authors receiving the words, the thoughts, and the teachings of God and recording or teaching them in their own words as God superintended the process as to allow for no error. The doctrine of inspiration is this idea. Human authors receive the word, the teachings, the thoughts of God, record or teach them in their own words as God superintended that process as to allow for no error. So the Bible says about itself that it is inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16, real famous verse about this. All scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed means God-spoken. It also means inspired. It's same definition. So all scripture is inspired or spoken by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Uh, another great passage is 2 Peter chapter 1. If you go to the right in your Bibles about I don't know, 10, 12 pages. You'll come to 2 Peter chapter 1, page 854, verse 20. The Bible again speaks to this idea. It says this, verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's this doctrine that God intervenes through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to, he interacts with the authors. They record what God says. They record the history that God once recorded. And they, they do that through the human experience. So as they're writing down or relating what God wants us to know about himself, 
It comes through the human experience so that I can understand it, right? And apply that truth. God's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so he brings it down to the human level so that I can grab hold of that truth and weave that into my heart and into my life. So what's inspiration look like? So you got different authors in the Bible that are all inspired by God in this way. So for instance, for Moses, Moses wrote the first few books of the Old Testament. Inspiration for him took on several different forms. So God spoke to Moses and told him the history of the world, right? So Moses wrote Genesis, but he wasn't there in the Garden of Eden. So God told him what happened there. Moses recorded it. Moses also recorded the events of his own time. So Moses was at the burning bush. He was there when the Israelites came out of Egypt, right? So he recorded those events as God directed him to record them. And then Moses also wrote down things that God said to him directly. So the Ten Commandments, God said, here's the Ten Commandments. Go tell people the Ten Commandments. This is what they are. And so Moses did that directly. Those are all ways that God interacted with Moses as he was inspired to write the Word of God. Uh, you think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. <clears throat> and so that would show up in different ways. Some of it was Paul recording the events of his time. This happened, then I went to this place, I talked to this guy, and this miracle happened, right? Other times, it was Paul given the authority by God to speak on his behalf. So you read letters that Paul wrote to some of the different churches, and he would even say, hey, I'm an apostle, so I have the authority to speak on God's behalf, and God said he wants you to do this, this, and this, and God wants you to know this, this, and the other thing about himself or about the end of time or whatever, and he was granted that authority uniquely by God to write on his behalf. And then sometimes Paul would write down what God said directly. So Paul was taking this trip one time to this town called Damascus, and uh, Jesus showed up. It's like, Paul, what are you doing? And Paul wrote down the words that Jesus said, okay? So he would record this. So sometimes that's how inspiration looked for Paul. Think about King David, who wrote a chunk of the Psalms, right? So when the inspiration in David's life looked like this, sometimes he would write down poetry. And so you read part of the Psalms, you're like, that's like a poem, exactly. So David wrote this poem to God, and God, through the Holy Spirit, said, you know what, I want that in the Bible. That's going to help explain me to people. Sometimes you see that David wrote down a prayer, and, and David's like, God, where are you, and what are you doing, and why am I here, right? And God's like, let's, let's have that be a part of the Scripture, because when people read that, they're going to know how to search for me, or they're going to understand something about me. Sometimes the Psalms look like songs, and so you're reading part of the Bible, and you're like, that sounds like a worship song, and that's exactly what it is. So God inspired that and said, let's make that a part of the Bible, because it, it teaches something about me. It helps human beings connect with who, who I am, okay? So how do we get the Bible? Through the doctrine of inspiration, and we would say that God wrote it through human beings. He carried them along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter chapter 1. He preserved the Bible. He superintended the process so that the book that we pick up today is the words of God. And then there's all kinds of archaeological evidence and, and literary evidence that says that this copy of the Bible that you have right now is extremely accurate, okay? It's the same thing that people have worked with and used over thousands of years because God has superintended and preserved and protected that process, all right? Now, 
Another stress point that comes into this observation that kind of shot back to me uh, was, was this idea. It was fascinating. The folks said, okay, Jeff, got you what you're saying. I understand why I have to accept that by faith because that's like a spiritual thing, the whole inspiration thing. But why the Bible? There's lots of old writings. There's the Koran. There's very new writings like the Book of Mormon. There's the sayings of Confucius. There's the fortune cookie I read yesterday. Like, there's lots of spiritual writings. Why should I trust the Bible over these other writings? In fact, trust the Bible to the exclusion of these other writings. What do you, what do you say about that? And I s- said back to my friends, I said, you know what, fair question. Good enough question. Let's talk about this a lot. Th- there are a ton of answers to this, and I'm not able to go into it today. We would be here for a year, Right? Uh, I looked in my office. I probably have a stack of books this tall directly answering those questions. They're called apologetics. So we could go into archaeology and we could go into history and we could go into uh, literary assessments and all those kind of things. And I literally have tens of thousands of pages of research. And I would really encourage you to check that out if you struggle with this. This is what happens. A lot of times we go through, we grew up in church, like Sunday school stuff, we go off to college and we hear a lopsided argument about why the Bible is one thing and we should all just coexist and Jesus isn't real and things like that. And it's a good argument, it's a, it's a polished argument and it's, you know, it's, it's fine. It's a lopsided argument. I would challenge you, double dog dare you, to go back and hear the other side of the argument from the vantage point of academia. Okay, so I can, I can get you a PhD in all this apologetics as to the counterpoints to that argument. And what happens is a lot of time we never take the time to really understand that. So when we think about this, it's important that we download this. Like I said, I can't do all that today. So what I'm going to do for you guys is just lean into one little aspect, okay? One of the reasons why we trust the credibility of the Bible is because of what's in the Bible and how it's been proven right through science, okay? So we would look at things that the Bible said thousands of years ago that we can apply science to today and say that's right. And let me give you an example of this. The oldest book in the Bible is, a, is called the book of Job. It's spelled Job. I don't know why we call it, but the guy's name's Job. Don't call him Job, it offends him, okay? So the book of Job, Oldest book in the Bible is about 4,000 years old, okay? There are scientific principles that Job writes about 4,000 years ago that there's no way that he could have known. Job was a a nomadic rancher in the Middle East 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Jesus showed up. And yet he pinned down things in science that we are just getting our head around right now. So let me give you an example of this, okay? So for instance... Job chapter 38, verse 31, Job alludes to the idea that stars are bound by gravity. We just figured that out. How does a nomadic rancher 4,000 years ago know that? Uh, Job chapter 38, verses 19 and 20, uh, alludes to the idea that light is in motion. That's a very new thing, that light moves, okay, that we just now understand. Job 26.10 says that the earth is round 4,000 years ago. 400 years ago, everybody thought Columbus was going to fall off the face of the earth, right? Because we thought it was flat still. Job knew 4,000 years ago. 
Job 26.7 tells us that the earth is suspended in space. We never really nailed that down until we went to the moon, right? And got a good picture of the planet. Uh, Job 38.16 speaks of vents existing on the bottom of the ocean. Just now we're exploring the bottom of the ocean. Know that there's gas that comes out. There's lava, those kind of things, right? Uh, Job 28.25 speaks the idea that air has weight. Remember fifth grade science? Air has weight to it. You go back to other parts of the Bible. Genesis 22.17 tells us that stars exist in the billions. And remember, thousands of years ago, you could look up and you can count. It's only since like the Hubble telescope that we know that there's star systems beyond star systems beyond star systems. The Bible talks about that thousands of years ago. 1 Corinthians 15.41 says that every star is different. We just now figured out that stars are gas. They look like dots in the sky, but you get up close to them, they're different. Well, the Bible talked about that thousands of years ago. Luke 17 says that there's always a day and a night on the planet, that at any time the planet has a day and a night, right? Remember, anybody, eighth grade, anyone, anyone? Okay, we'll just, we'll just agree on that, okay? Psalms 8, verse 8, that says that the oceans have currents, Second uh, Samuel chapter 22, verse 6, says that there's valleys at the bottom of the sea. We know now that the largest mountain ranges on the planet are actually under the ocean, right? Now, how does a 4,000-year-old nomadic rancher know that stuff? A guy who probably never moved further than a 30-mile radius from where his center was in the Middle East. How in the world could he know that? How would he know the world's flat or around? How would he know it's suspended in space? How would he remotely have that kind of sophisticated mind? And I would say to you, Job didn't. God did. So when God inspired Job to record the truths and the events of his life, the creator of the world spoke into the writer of the book the truth about the planet. Okay? How does the psalmist know that oceans have current? You don't know that stuff. Not back then. Okay? There was no meteorological satellite to look at stuff. How do, we know that? How do you know what's on the bottom of the ocean? We're just barely finding that out now. Well, the creator of the world would know those things. And those truths are in the Bible. And let me say this. I am barely scratching the surface. If you want to know more about this, send me an email. It's on the back of the program. And I will send you pages upon pages upon pages of research. I'll just, I just click it over to you. And if you're kind of a nerd that way, some of you, I see that hand. Hey, if you're kind of a nerd that way, uh, I'll give you all that information. We're just barely getting into it. And yet it's all woven through the Bible. Why? Because of who wrote it, Right? Because God inspired it. And because um, through the doctrine of inspiration, God gave truth to humans as, as we move through it, okay? Third question that come up a lot, kind of a category is this. Jeff, if the Bible is the word of God, <clears throat> then you've got to admit that it has been used for evil purposes throughout time. The evil men and women have taken the Bible, manipulated it, and done evil things in the name of God. Do you agree with that? And if you ever come across somebody who makes that argument, you need to look them into the eye and you need to say to them, you are absolutely right. 
Right? Don't argue that point. It's true. Evil people have taken the Bible out of context and have done evil things with it. There's nothing to argue about there. People today take the Bible and manipulate it and hurt people and harm people with it. Everything from the guy on TV who's ripping your money off to the, the fanatic who's killing somebody in the name of Jesus, okay? Don't argue that point because it's true. It's a totally fair argument. It's totally right, right? Now, this is why I said to my friends, I accept your argument, but you got to accept mine too. Because here's my argument. For as much evil that's been done in the name of the Word of God, there's twice or more as much good that's been done in the name of the Word of God. And one of the things that's unique about the Bible is that when the Bible is used for evil by a false teacher, it's from the Bible that we correct that same teacher. So back in the day when somebody in the name of Jesus would stand up and say, you know what, we should enslave people, the Bible says, taking it out of context and using it in a manipulative, lying way. It's the same Bible that the true men and women of God would stand up and say, no, no, we should abolish this. This is wrong and immoral, okay? Back in the day when people would say, the Bible says women are property, it's the same word of God that we would look to and say, no, the Bible says that before God, we're all equals. And that that woman is not my property, she's my sister in Christ, and I ought to treat her with dignity and respect. So it's out of God's word, for instance, that women were elevated. It's out of God's word that we get the whole concept of human rights. It's out of God's word that we get justice. It's out of God's word that we fight tyranny. It's out of God's word that medicine was developed. Why? because they would look and say, well, God created this world and this body. We ought to understand that. We ought to have compassion on those who need our help. It's out of the Bible that higher education was developed. All those systems came out of the Bible from the church. Why? Because we would look and say, man, God is so wonderful and magnificent and even mysterious. We ought to go pursue that knowledge and try to understand those things. It's out of God's word that you get freedom. It's out of God's word that most of the things that we value and care about and would say are right and good, they're all grounded and rooted in God's word, right? So I'll give you the argument all day that people manipulate it and use it for evil things, but we gotta be fair in the conversation. And part of that fairness is looking and saying, but look at the good, and the good far outweighs the bad when you put it on the scale of human history, and it's God's word that we correct the false teacher with and that we, we rebuke them with and even bring them to justice if we have to. It's out of the same word of God. So we have to at least have the conversation um, on, a, on a fair basis when we're talking about that argument, okay? All right. We could go on and on and on and on, and I'm not gonna be able to do that today, obviously, but guys, what I would say to you is at least don't buy a lopsided argument. If your mind works that way and you're wired that way, great. I would encourage you to struggle with it. If you've never wondered how supernatural things happen, if you've never wondered, should I just accept this book, Car Blanche? I'd encourage you to go dig at that, absolutely. And I'll put my money on the Bible all day long. It will be proven true and right when you weigh the whole arguments on both sides. And I'm not the least little bit insecure about that. So struggle with it, dig at it, and, and get into those things, and you'll find 
that there's a, there's a lot of academically based, uh, very cognitive arguments over here that counterbalance a lot of these things, that these will break down pretty quickly when you get the other side of the evidence, the other side of the coin, okay? Now, here's the deal. I could prove this stuff wrong all day long. It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. Because if I don't want to believe something, I'm not going to believe it. And that's where this whole conversation and every conversation we're going to have here this summer is going to always circle back to faith. I'm going to have to choose to believe something spiritual, choose to, choose to trust something spiritual. Because I can, I can prove a person wrong, and I could even be a jerk in the process of doing that. If you don't want to believe it, you don't want to believe it, it doesn't make any difference. Where the Bible gains its credibility in our individual lives is when it starts to sink into our hearts. And this is where the Bible is a totally different animal. And it's where we as individuals start to really, really trust it. The power of the Word of God is what speaks to the credibility of the Word of God. If you look back at Hebrews, page 840, go to chapter 4 this time, verse 12. The very famous verse that tells us about the Bible, and it says this, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. When I interact with the Bible, the Bible interacts with my soul. That's where, that's where it gets its credibility. I can, I can prove your brain wrong all day long. It doesn't make a difference. But when you interact with the Bible and it gets into your soul and something happens spiritually and you become alive spiritually because you've interacted with the living, active Word of God, your ability and willingness to trust the Bible will shift in a very, very dynamic way. And the Bible is unique like that. Shakespeare's not like that. Plato's not like that. Aristotle's not like that. Oprah's not like that. Dr. Phil certainly isn't like that. But the Bible's different. And when I approach the Bible by faith, see, it affects me in these very, very deep ways, and that's huge. And I'm gonna say this, and for all of us who grew up in church, you're gonna flip out when I say this, but you'll be okay. We have, we have recovery groups for you. Ready? Most people do not approach the Bible to understand theology or doctrine. Most people do not understand, don't approach the Bible that way. They don't approach the Bible to understand theology and doctrine. Some of us who grew up in church, we're kind of church nerds. We, we do that. We approach, we approach the Bible and we're like, there's an Arminius and there's a Calvinist. I don't know about predestination or election. You have to grow up at church and be a church nerd to even understand what I just said, right? That is not where most people under, approach the Bible. We have to understand this. Most people understand the Bible because they're scared, desperate, and alone. And it's at the bottom of life where most people would pick up a Bible and they're looking for hope and they're looking for connection and they're looking for something. They don't even know what, but they're looking for something. And this is where the credibility of the Bible starts to really, really take root. And those of you who approach the Bible later on in life will relate very strongly to what I'm saying. 
Because when you didn't grow up in church, you didn't grow up with these sophisticated conversations that sometimes are pointless, and you're not sure about this, when you approached the Bible because you were desperate, afraid, and alone, and you picked it up and you read the words, and the words said to you that God loves you, that absolutely ignited your soul. When you find out for the first time that Jesus loves you and he's not out to get you, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him could be saved, it ignites your soul. When you're desperate and alone and you're looking at life and saying, I don't think I matter, I think my best option is to get the pain of life over. How do you get to the Y bridge? And you pick up the Bible in a moment of desperation and you look and you say, oh man, I was uniquely and wonderfully made. I was thought about ahead of time. I was planned. I was predestined. I was foreknown. I'm not this blob o flesh, one of billions, but I am uniquely connected by God and God knows me and loves me and cares for me. And you never knew that before? The Bible just explodes in your heart and in your mind. Why? Because it's alive and it's active. And when you go to the Bible for faith, God will give you faith from it. Those words will jump off of that page like they're the words of God to your soul at that moment. That's why people go to the Bible. It's, it's later on that we would go to the Bible and ask these sophisticated questions. And I tell you, sometimes it's sad to me. One of the sad parts when I think about the Bible is this truth, that for many of us, the more that we know the Bible, the less we accept it by faith. It's sad to me. For some of us, now listen carefully, for some of us, the worst thing that ever happened to us is that we grew up in church. And we look and we... We take the Bible for granted. I know these stories. I know that one. I know that. I've heard that sermon. I knew Jeff was going to use 2 Timothy 3.16. Everybody knows you have a Bible sermon. You've got to take that verse. Some of us, the worst thing that ever happened to us is that we grew up in the church. And we become numb and closed to the wonder of God's word. And this is what happens this elaborate biblical knowledge that we've been spoon-fed our whole life no longer serves to ignite our faith and challenge our life. What it becomes for us is a tool in which we build sophisticated rationales as to why we don't actually have to live the way the Bible says we should live. It's sad. It's sad that this, this beautiful gift given to us by God is lost. And I can tell you this, I know this for a fact. When your passion for the Bible is gone, your passion for Jesus is numbed. Every time. I didn't say you lost your salvation. I said you lost your fervor for God. Because we have a sense of arrival that I'm here and I know it and I know it backwards and forwards. I even know how to say Greek words. Well, good for you. Do you remember, do you remember when you craved being with Jesus? Remember that? Do you remember 
when spending time in the Bible was the highlight of your day, and when you spent time in the Bible, it felt like you were having a cup of coffee with God. You remember getting up and, and doing that? I'm watching these kids come back from camp, talking to my own kids, and they're, <clears throat> they're so amped up about their relationship with God right now. You know what the temptation is? Temptation is to say, well, that's, that's, they'll get over it. They're kids, you can get them worked up. Don't be that person. That's how a Christian's supposed to be. And I know they're young and they're immature, but the fire and the passion, you remember that in your life? Before you talked yourself out of it, using theology and doctrine, If the pinnacle of your interaction with Christ is a memory, if the pinnacle of your passion for Jesus is something that you had one time instead of the reality of where you are at, some of the most biblically literate people I know are oftentimes the most spiritually stale people I've ever met. And we settle into mindsets where we have a sense of arrival. And we'd rather critique how church works. Jeff said it this way, but the other guy said it that way. And the guy on the podcast, he said it this way. And church ran long, and the music was loud, and the song was this, and blah. What is that? That's just us losing our passion. It's us losing our focus. And I promise you that when that passion fades away, your interaction and your passion for God's word went first. Biblical depth is not biblical knowledge. Biblical depth is not biblical knowledge. Biblical depth is life change. And taking God's word and embracing it by faith and actually living what you read, that's biblical depth. Right? Now here's the flip side of that coin. For some of us, we just we know too much, frankly. We're so spiritually obese, we can't move in faith anymore. For others of us, the depth of our biblical literacy is whatever we're talking about in here on a weekend. And that makes me sad. It doesn't make me mad, it makes me sad. The Bible has never been more available to people than, than it is today. You can get a hold of the Bible. People used to die to get a hold of the Bible. We turn on our iPhones the Bible's never been more available and biblical literacy's never been lower. And it makes me sad because I interact with people all the time and they're desperate for life. They're shoving all this fast food junk into their soul and they're trying to fill their soul with getting ahead at work or making more money or being a better athlete or getting straight A's or fill in your blank. And what they're longing for is a relationship with God and the pathway to a relationship with God is in their pocket on their phone. 
So the flip side of this is when I sit in church every week and I say to myself, I ought to learn the Bible more. Next week, I ought to learn the Bible more. Next week, I ought to learn the Bible more. Next week, I ought to... We can go on for years. And it's right here. And all the resources to learn it are at our fingertips and we never take the time. And it's a lack of passion for Christ. God's word. I cannot know God if I do not know God's word. I cannot know God if I do not know the Bible, right? And just as I would have faith in Jesus, I choose to believe. I'm not a dummy, not naive. I'm choosing to believe. One of the things in my struggle with God is I have to choose to believe the Bible. And that choice to believe is gonna, is gonna facilitate almost a demand, a pursuit of God's word on my behalf. You never arrive in your understanding of God's word ever. And you will never deepen in your relationship with God until you implant God's word and humbly accept it in your heart. Now guys, walking away from this weekend, this is where I would challenge you or hope that you would be. I We'll go two ways with this. The first way is this. If you're that person who grew up in church like me and you know the Bible inside and out, but it's not spawning a life of faith for you, this is what I challenge you. I dare you to do something. A double dog dare you to do something, okay? I dare you to read the Bible for 30 days and just do what it says. Dare you to do it. I was talking to a guy after last service. He said, I'm taking you up on your dare tomorrow because today I read that I should sell everything that I have and give it to the church. <laughs> like, you chicken, right? I dare you to do it because this is what happens, right? The more you know the Bible, the more that God ups the ante. So when you first got to know the Bible, it's like, woohoo, I don't have to go to hell. Yeah. Later on, you're like, whoa, I got to give my whole life I think I'll settle in about here, be a good person. I dare you, read Ephesians, read Philippians, read James, read whatever, and actually just do it. Don't rationalize it away. <clears throat> My dad, when he first was after Christ, he was in his 30s. The old King James said that you should go into your closet and pray, your prayer closet. So my dad would pray in a closet. He did it for three years. So the pastor was finally like, you don't actually have to go into the closet, Clarence, you know. My dad didn't know any better. Now listen, no family background, no biblical background, no spiritual background. Two of his sons are pastors and both of his daughters walk with Jesus. Two of his grandsons are going into the ministry. Why? Because my old man didn't know any better than to just do the Bible. He raised us that way. Don't be so sophisticated that you talk yourself out of the simple acts of faith that the scripture directs us to. So I dare you dare you to do it. 30 days later, if your faith is not ignited, call me. I'll take you out. I'll buy you sushi. Okay? I'll admit I lose a bet, but I'll bet on the Bible all day long. That's one. Two. If you're here and you're saying, I don't even know the book. I keep saying I should learn the book, but I don't know the book. All right. Let's, let's break this, okay? So we're going to help you with it. 
So this is in your program. Starting in July, we're going to offer a class called 30 Days to Understanding Your Bible. And we'll teach the class on Sundays. It corresponds with like this little book that you can study. And 30 days later, you will have a basic grasp on the Bible. So if you go to the class and you read the book and you do everything like the book, you know, kind of walks you through, 30 days later, if you don't have a basic grasp on the Bible, call me. And if I lose the bet, I'll buy you sushi, right? I didn't say good sushi. I said sushi, right? Like gas station sushi, so make sure your health insurance is paid out, right? Okay? But listen, I have to choose. This is where we put skin in the game. God has done. He's inspired. He's preserved. He's delivered. He's given us all kinds of evidences, right? The Bible is credible. Where it will start to be credible to you is when it starts to affect and change your life. You have to choose to embrace that way, right? And when you do, by faith, the Bible, which is alive and which is active, will settle into your soul and start to change your life. We're going to help you with this more next week. This is kind of the why talk. We're going to help you a little bit next week with the how talk. And then we're going to start to really dive in to these difficult questions of struggling with God, all right? As the band settles in, would you close your eyes, bow your heads for a minute? Maybe just think and pray. Guys, if the pinnacle of your spiritual life is a memory, not a reality, would you interact with God about that? Spiritual depth's not about what you know. It's about who you're becoming. Don't deceive yourself. The demons know the Bible inside and out. They don't love Jesus. Okay, would you bear down a little bit, be honest before God? Where are you spiritually? What is the condition of your heart? If you're here today and you've never interacted with Jesus before, and the idea that there's a Savior, a God who loves you, you want that. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe you raised from the dead. I put my faith in you. I trust the Bible. I want to know you. You can say that prayer to God today, and, and you'll begin that relationship. There aren't magic words. There's not a secret prayer. It's from your heart to God's heart, okay? Do you think about it? Pray about it. So we sing this song together.